Welcome back to season two of Slate It Till You Make It. This is episode 21. I'm your host, Katherine Donnelly. I'm so excited to be back. Today's industry guest is Killian McHugh, creator of Killian's Workshop, No Big Deal, which was voted Best Commercial Workshop by the Backstage West Readers Poll. In 2012, Killian appeared in MTV's Made as the go-to guy if you want to book commercials in Los Angeles. In 2014, he appeared on Conan O'Brien's show as his acting coach, and the bit was named an instant classic by the Huffington Post, which received over 5 million hits on YouTube. In 2016, he was interviewed by the LA Times and was featured on the front page of the entertainment section. Killian began working in commercial casting in the early 2000s. He's worked with most of the top commercial casting offices in LA. He's worked in every aspect of the commercial casting industry, from lobby assistant to session director, and then finally casting director at one of the top five offices in Los Angeles. Killian realized, though, he was most passionate about helping actors book. So he opened his own studio on Melrose, dedicating his life to teaching the art of booking to actors. We are so thrilled to have him on the show today. What an opener for season two. We're going to learn so much. Everybody, please welcome Killian. You guys know I'm all about sharing juicy insights and things that will help you get ahead, right? So I found this gem called the Commercial Club and I have to tell you about it. It's like a secret weapon for your auditions. It's a monthly membership where you have access to on-demand coaching with casting pros who've been doing it for 30 plus years, giving you the lowdown for all your auditions, whether it's self-tapes, virtual, in-person, callbacks, you name it, they've got you. They hold these exclusive hangs with industry big shots, directors, cinematographers, casting directors, and it's not your typical mingling, blah, 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 formal Q&A. It's more like real connections. There are these laid back hangouts and commercial workout nights where it's not a class. It's just a fun way to sharpen those audition skills. So for all my Slate It listeners, here's the deal. If you use Slate It Pod when signing up, the first 50 people will receive a complimentary $25 drop-in gym sesh. And if you like that, you can use Slate It Pod promo code to secure an elite level membership for the price of a basic membership for the first month, which will save you 60 bucks. And I am all about saving that money. So check out commercialclubhouse.com for more info and be sure to throw in Slate It Pod for your special hookup. I'll be there. I hope you'll be there. We can have a big party. And now on to the episode. I feel like there's not a whole lot of commercial books out there. Like, do you know of any besides, I mean, there's obviously Terry Berland's. When I got to town, when I started, there was only really two classes, but it was a female and a male. And um, she had written a book and, but it was like, it was from 10 years ago and things had changed so much. Things don't change as fast now, although technology changes faster, but our system is down with electronic submissions, you know, all that stuff. So you can't really change much anymore, but the pandemic stopped everything, you know, in person and all of that. But the things that she wrote about were from, you know, the eighties and it was 2000. And so I didn't ever want to write a book, but then we did and we made it current and things that I felt were going to be timeless. And then the pandemic happened. And then everything was over, (laughs) right? Literally as like the month we said, we got the book, we got the book. I told everybody online, we got the book. (laughs) Wow. So it's just, it's just sitting there in the ether. Do you plan to like revisit it? I would like to do a book that's about the commercial world, but also about the whole Hollywood experience. Cause I've had the whole Hollywood experience. 
Like I know everybody, I know everything they've done. I know not telling those things, but I got here as a waiter and this is the next step. And this is the next, this is the next step. And nobody really tells you how to do that and to survive. And I think that's what it's something that really draws at least me to the business that there, there is no roadmap and it's incredibly appealing and terrifying, but I love that everyone has had to make their own roadmap. I mean, is there even like a general map and like, how could we, which is why I made this podcast, by the way, it's like, can we piece together everyone's maps, you know? And There is. I think if you watch comedians, you know, Seinfeld and Cars and all that crap, I don't think that's particularly funny or anything like that, but they all have the same story of, I got to LA, I lived in my car, I slept in the parking lot, I couch surfed, and we've all done that. And so I think that there is something we can piece together from all of those, because they're all the same. Now, do you become this or do you become, you know, forgotten? Right. Or, or, you know, that's the big thing. I always thought, like, I I find, well, I talk about this in, in my callback class because I teach more than just commercial booking. Schools don't prepare us for anything. When you leave, you don't know how to, I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to pay my bills. I don't know how to do taxes. I'm 19 <laughs> years old. Like, this is the thing they should be teaching us. What do you do when your parents say, you're out of here, you're 18, get out? Right. You got to pay rent and you got to pay a deposit and you got to work at this job, but still have money to go out and have friends and have a life. Like, I I kind of want to do, like, that's what I want to do now because I'm older. And I just want to be like, hey, college kids, but the college kids won't listen to me because now I'm older. Uh-huh. But like, what I want to say is like, Here's how you do this because I did everything wrong. Right. Like the school of life book. Yes. But guess what? By the time you finish writing that, something's going to change. There's going to be World War III. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. So like, you know, the ice shelf is off. And so why tell them? (laughs) Well, and I think a lot of, of figuring it out is figuring it out and having to like live through it, right? Well, also... There's two sides of that coin. If you do well, and I've done fairly well, not, I'm not, you know, I've done okay. I can, I can eat in a restaurant that I want to eat at and I'm not worried about rent this month, you know? And so I've I've done okay. So then you look back and everything was sort of fun, but it wasn't in the moment at all. It was tragic and could be avoided at all costs. But The flip side is, what are the people who didn't get to be okay? Now they just spiral down, down, down. You know what I mean? And so I think about them as well, especially in a city like LA, Hollywood. I mean, you know, Boulevard of Broken Dreams, all of that. But I feel that there is sort of a roadmap. If you're true to what you really want, LA's fun when you get here and you're 20. You know, there's a lot of fun. And that can destroy the dream if you let it. So you have to be focused always on what's the goal here? Why am I here? It's not about this party. It's not about meeting this person. It's not about blow or drinking at the Dresden or doing whatever, having fun. It's about, I have to get this done. And there's so many distractions in LA. And there's also, I like to call them, it's not my phrase, but they're like 
lesser goals that become way more distracting than the big goals where it's like lesser goals could be like oh this person needs this from me like this is my day job this is like a lesser goal and then it becomes like more important and then you forget why you're here or like you become loyal to like oh but my babysitting client needs me and it's like well I should be outperforming I shouldn't be babysitting but I need to pay the bills but there's like a fine line of like you start to drift you start to drift and it's like you gotta keep it how do you keep things streamlined and focused because this industry is so scattered. Well, especially because if you're waiting tables, which is what a lot of people do when they get here, that's the main thing, bartending, they become your family. Mm -hmm. They become this ridiculous drama situation. (laughs) You're caught up in it and you're forgetting why you're here. But what I say in classes all the time is I believe, and I truly believe this, I'm not saying this flippant. I think a lot of it is the weather in Los Angeles because everybody says to me even now I've been here for 30 years I feel like I'm a Californian even though Californians don't think that but uh (laughs) people will say are you from the east coast because east coast has a better work ethic everybody says that all the time (laughs) but here's why because winter's coming on the east you gotta get your shit done okay (laughs) the problem with LA is every day is groundhog day It's 72 to 81 every day. And so, geez, I, I have this thing that I want to, I want to write this play. I want to, I want to get the screen play done. I want to do this thing, but the surf is so good today. So I'll just do it tomorrow. So my, my phrase always is like, tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in LA because it's the same day. <laughs> all of a sudden, four years goes by and you're like, holy shit, I'm still waiting tables at this fucking place. So it has to be always, I'm here for this, and I don't care if I miss this party. Now, that being said, parties are very also essential in our business, and going out and meeting people and saying yes to everything, but not in an obsequious way where you're passing around cards at a Hollywood party saying, I'm a, and you're, and you're, if your card says more than one thing, then get rid of your card. I can't stand producer, director, actor, writer, boom, all on one card. <laughs> Who the fuck? What? Just go away. away. It's true. So, like, you can't be passing out cards at a party, but the parties are essential. Mm -hmm. So you go. What I tell actors in classes: you go and you have soda water with a lime. No one can tell it's not vodka. You know what I mean? And you never get drunk at these parties because these aren't the people. You get drunk with your friends' friends and have those friends. But when you're in industry situations, you have a tonic water with lime because this is where you're supposed to be and this is what you have to... And you have to drink in every moment and you have to listen to every conversation you have to hear and and you have to be aware of everything because everyone's watching you at that moment as well. And all the time, people people notice... They notice how you show up to anything, to class, to an audition, to a coffee, to like whatever. What I say in week one of class, as soon as I walk in, is you must go through life camera ready. Okay. Of course, you should be allowed to fail in a class. That's what that there should be a safety there. But an acting class in LA is where you should definitely be camera ready. The person next to you is Tom Hanks' son. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I went to school with everybody. I mean, all of them, they're all there. You know what I mean? And how you portray yourself matters in an acting class. Yes, you should fail. Yes, you should experiment. But also, 
You don't have to be Dennis Hopper out on the plane when, you know what I mean, on the wing, on the plane, in class, you know, because that's a producer sitting next to you. Dick Wolf sat in every class that I took. Dick Wolf was there in the back looking for new faces for uh, Law and Order. So he's in your class. Jeffrey Tambor was my teacher for a long time. We couldn't talk, we can't talk about him now. But <laughs> he was amazing before. But uh, you know, I took class with everybody back in the day. You just never you never know. And that's so funny because I'm such a You know who's kid. sitting next to you. No. Like, that's the thing. I, I had a he's very big, but I don't know I don't and also don't recognize people. Years later, after I took a certain class, a big comedian came up to me and he said, Whenever I didn't have anything to say he's like when i couldn't think of anything i would just sit next to you in class and i would just listen to you under your breath and saying things about people and doing your things and i would write everything down and i would just use that that night on stage <laughs> so like, people would <laughs> me and take my shit and go so you don't know who's sitting next to you <laughs> You don't. This city is fucking crazy. And everyone knows everyone. And the longer you're here, the more that's true. Everyone knows what you just said. Everyone knows everyone. Everyone does. And it's creepy. The longer you're here, the more everyone really knows everyone and their business. And so it's just like, you kind of got to play Switzerland too. You can't talk shit. You shouldn't talk shit. Oh, also, no. know who you're talking to. This business is so nuanced. And th this is why, I mean, it's so great to have someone like you on the show because well when people hear your name they think of one thing they think of com commercials right but it but there's so much more to you than that and and i want to like dive into like where you got all this wisdom i mean can we take it all the way back to your origin story you showing up in la you're not from here well i moved from jersey i always want to be an actor but i could never tell where i grew up i grew up on the jersey uh Pennsylvania border. If you're an actor, you're a fag. That's number one. And so I could never tell anybody I wanted to be that. I was supposed to be a lawyer and I was supposed to be a mob attorney, actually. Uh, that was my goal. Everybody knew that. The nuns in school, the priests knew that. Everybody knew I was going to be a mob attorney for a certain family. Then what happened was I lied <laughs> to everybody and I told my family, hey, uh, I'm actually moving to California. I'm going to be an actor. And then they didn't talk to me for like a year after that, but they realized I wasn't coming back. And I moved to San Diego, actually. And I love San and I consider that my home. And I moved to Pacific Beach, San Diego, and I've lived there for many years. And that's where you go when you're out of college, but you want college to continue. <laughs> And so I lived there for many years. And then one day I woke up after a party and I was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be in LA. I'm supposed to be an actor. So I jumped in my car that weekend. I quit my job. I packed my stuff and I was like, I'm out of here. I can't, I can't believe I've been here for four years. This is absurd. And so I moved to LA and I moved to Venice. I was a waiter everywhere. <laughs> um, I never applied for a job. I was always recruited to another restaurant, a better restaurant. I would wait on people and they'd say, I own, you know, whatever and move here. And so I worked at the Standard and the Ritz and uh, Copa. Well, they're, they're not there anymore. A bunch of places uh, that were very cool and, and trendy at the time. I worked for everybody. And then you get to a point 
where you and you're auditioning and you're trying to audition, you're doing all that stuff. And I just got to a point where I couldn't wait tables any longer uh, for my soul. And I did love it. I had a lot of fun and I partied with everybody. I mean, Angeline, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny, everybody was in our club. Drew, Barry, everyone has a Drew Barrymore story, but <laughs> with all of them all the time. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And a friend of mine, her friend had called her and said that there's an opening at a casting studio for front desk. What happened was I feel everything's fate. I truly do believe in the secret and all of that. It's not the secret. It's, it's you know, just attraction. I'm over waiting tables now at this point. And it's my last job. And the assistant manager, I really, I couldn't take it anymore. So I was driving to work to punch him in the face. And as I drove... <laughs> Yeah. And as I drove down Sunset, I said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be arrested and then you'll be sued and you already have nothing. You're, you know, I'm a, I'm a waiter. I'm, a, I'm almost 30. I'm like a loser in my family and I'm, my family's going to find out about it and I'm going to be arrested today, but I just need to punch this guy in the face. And as I got to the parking lot, I got a phone call on my cell and she said, hey, there's a job at a casting office on La Brea. I don't want it. You should go. And I made a U-turn on Sunset. And I went and I drove down. And then I was there for like the next 10 years. Uh, they hired me on the spot. And then from front desk, I went to work for every casting director in this, hall, in this city. Independent. We all work independently. Contractors. And I worked for every casting office in the city. Commercially. And that's how it started. I was about to be arrested. And by the way, just so if you do put this in, I can't fight. Like I'm not, I'm a pacifist. I don't like, I, I don't, I can take a punch, but I can't throw one. That's my big bar fight move. You can't knock me down. I'll keep getting up, but I can't hit you back. <laughs> but I can take a punch. <laughs> and I got the job and then I just stayed and I learned and they were all awful and they're just so horrible. And it was such a horrible job, but I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. And I booked a lot of commercials. And because of them, I booked a lot of commercials and I made contact. And the reason the whole teaching thing started, I was watching people in the room. Now that I'm in casting and I'm an actor, and I'm in classes and doing all the things, but I notice what everybody's doing wrong, but nobody's telling you this. And there were no commercial classes, there were two. And so I decided to do class to just tell people the truth and see what happened. And I was the first class in Los Angeles. You know, now there's a thousand classes, but I was the first one to put a sign-in sheet. You usually went to their house. You were in her living room. You had to take your shoes off because she had pink carpet and her dogs would yap at you or you were in a garage with this other guy. And I was the first person who did it in a casting office. I said to my bosses, can I do this at night when you guys leave? And I put a sign-in sheet and I treated it like an audition. And then everything I did was authentic and people just started booking. And so, you know, I had a first class of maybe 10 people and, you know, seven, eight of them booked within a month. And the agents were like, wait, what, what just happened? And so they sent me, you know, 10 more people and then they booked. And then it just became organically bam, bam, bam. And it overtook my life. And so I started a callback class because I noticed what people were doing wrong in callback. There was no callback class in Los Angeles before I started one. I had the first and only. Now there's a bunch because I, everybody did what you do. You do what people are doing well, right? right? Yeah. So I was the first callback class. And then 
improv overtook the city and it was illegal at the time. You can't even say it. So we would say, have fun with it. You know, make it your own. You know, let's see what you can do with it. So I started an improv for commercial class. That was the first one in Los Angeles. There were improv classes and there were commercial classes, but there was no, because it's different than being at the Groundlings on a Friday night show. It's totally different. And so I created an improv for commercials class. Now there's a dozen of those, you know, but I was the first one to do all of this. And all I did was just tell everybody the truth. And they say, you know, he's hard. Oh my God, he's so mean. I'm not ever personal. I never, I never say anything mean to anybody. I just tell you in blunt form, this is what my director would say, adjust or don't adjust. But I'm telling you how to book. You don't got to listen to me, but I'm telling you how to book. But what I also say in class is nobody ever changes. Whoever you were at four years old is exactly who you are now. Okay. You can grow. You become educated. You could learn, you know, oh, I'm going to lose weight because I was 300 pounds as a child and now I'm not. That's change for sure. Okay. I thought this way at one point and now I'm not going to think that way anymore. Great. But whoever you were at four is who you are now. When I was a waiter, I was exactly the way I was as an acting coach. I would say to people when they come in and I worked with at big places and I would say, here's how it's going to go. I'm Killian. I'm here to help you tonight. I never said server. I can't stand that word. Waiter. I'm not a waiter. I'm here to help you through your experience tonight. And here's how it's going to go. And boom, 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 boom. This is the best thing on the menu. This is not, I never picked the most expensive thing. Boom, 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 boom. Here's how it's going to go. If you vary from the list that I just gave you, you do that at your own risk. And then I can't help you. I'm telling you how to have the best experience right now in this restaurant. If you vary from that, go ahead. And then they'd ask me to take a lobster off the menu. And I'd say, no, I told you that it was horrible. <laughs> and, gotta, and I'd say, because everybody wants lobster at the Ritz. It was the worst dish. So I'd say, don't order the lobster. I get you all want that. But go next door and have it tomorrow. This is the best thing on the menu. And boom, 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 boom. They'd order the lobster. And then they'd demand to take it off because it was horrible. I said, no, I told you it was horrible. <laughs> But that's exactly how I am in teaching. Like, you don't change. You know what I'm saying? Do you have this, like, radical honesty? All... I like radical honesty. I've never heard that before. I like that word. It, it's, a, it's a little, it's a buzzword. I've been reading it in a lot of my spiritual books. But it's, um, you just, you accept things as they are. You say things as they are. Nothing's personal, but it's, you're real huh. in every single position that you have in life, whether it's a friendship, it's like a relationship, it's your teaching, your and I, I resonate. Like I think the thing about what draws people to you and I, I think people like myself is whether I'm teaching yoga or I'm doing stand up, you're gonna get me unapologetically and I'm gonna be real with you. And I'm not gonna apologize, but also anything else is a waste of time. And I'll just say... It also has to come from truth. Yeah, honestly. It has to be true. So when I started teaching, I just decided I'm just going to tell the truth. Okay? And whatever happens, happens. I remember the first time in a private, an actor cried. It's a commercial private. <laughs> like, I get that in theatrical, but it's a commercial private. And then it started happening all the time. And then I, what I realized was it's because... You come into my room and you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. If I don't book this, I, I have to prove to my parents. I have to prove to my family. I have to prove to myself. And it's none, none of that is about that at all. It's about understanding the concept of the commercial 
and showing the writers who are the ad agency that you understand the concept and showing the director that I will listen to you regardless of what you say or what I think. And that's all it is. And all this other stuff that you come in with is not valid in my moment. And so what I do as a teacher is, and a coach, I think of myself more as a coach than a teacher, is strip you away from all that. I don't care about what happened to you before you got here. I need you to read this line, okay? And I need you to read it like this. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And then do it. And booking is the greatest thing in the world. It's a double-edged sword because it keeps us here maybe more than we should be, longer than we should be. But once you book, you forget about all that negative stuff. That's all I want you to feel all the time. And so he just started this by trying to teach the truth. So you said, where's the line? Okay. So I also think if you're going to be a good teacher, you have to be a bit intuitive or psychic. I don't want to sound crazy like psychic, but you have to have intuitive things. I remember I was doing a private with an actor one day and she just, there was something wrong. And so I finally just said, look, there's something going on. And she said, I just went to, and it was the only other big person in town. I, I took all her business. She was, she hated me, but uh, there was only two, it was a man and a woman. So the woman, uh, she hated me, but this actor came to me from her and I said, I don't understand what your problem is right now. You're, there's something, just tell me. I don't fucking care. And she said, do you think I'm too fat to book commercials? And I said, that's absurd. Why, why would you think that? She said, well, blah, 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 said I'm too fat. Now, actors get things wrong and we hear things differently. And I said, I'm sure she didn't say that. I'm, I'm sure that's not what just happened. Tell me verbatim what she said. And she said, verbatim, she said, you're too fat to book commercials. And I said, okay, first of all, first of all, this girl, this woman was not fat in American standards at all, but she was not fat. And secondly, fat is funny, period. Everyone knows fat is funny. That's a, that's a, that's an equation of, of comedy. Okay. So if you want to you lose weight, lose weight for yourself not because your agent told you to lose weight and because i've had that before and things like lose weight for health but fat is funny and so that was completely wrong and i've never said to anybody i've never and nobody in 20 years could say killian said this about me personally because i've never said that i said what you just did is going to get you not booked the way you just acted it's going to get you not booked. The way you didn't listen to me, the director, they don't care. You get six seconds in the room to wow them in a commercial. And by wowing, I mean listening. So that's really where I come from. It's just a place of truth. And I don't have time to deal with your dreams. I love that you have dreams. We all have dreams. I have dreams. We all have them. Right now, I need you to say this line in this way, and then you'll book that job, and then you make your dreams come true. But I don't want to hear about them in this private. <laughs> we have 60 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Because they're inconsequential to me. But right. what I feel is part of the problem with the city, with us, is our dreams. Because they convolute what needs to be done today. Which goes back to my feeling of tomorrow never comes because, oh, it's 70 degrees out. Surf, and I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, right? 
That's legal and gummies are amazing. Yes. We're never getting anything done. It's so hard to live here because it's just so good. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. And that's why maybe things take longer here because, yeah, it is so, God, there's a a music festival tomorrow in my neighborhood and there's a great street walk sale, sidewalk sale and this and that. And it is, but. I think from being a Gemini, I'm I'm quite distracted myself. I don't have ADHD, but I have always historically had trouble finishing what I start. And um, when I became hyper aware of that, I was like, okay, if I can just – if I have three like big goals or big dreams or whatever it is, if I can take one step towards each goal a day, so it's like three steps a day, that's it. If I can just move the needle forward like a one inch on – that's better than – and then one inch gets you – 10 inches in 10 days. Well, you asked me in the beginning, how did this all start and how it really all started was, you know, I was at a shit place in my life and I just started reading every self-help book that I could find. (laughs) Whether or not it was hokey, there's people now who weren't hokey back then that they are now. And, you know, they're running for Senate and talking about poop and things like that. But back 20 years ago, they weren't. They weren't hokey and you were listening to them and Oprah was there guiding us along. And I bought every book she told me to. And I, I just, I was on planes all the time. And I was just, I was writing and writing and writing and, and, and taking notes and doing all these things. And all of that informed me later. It all mad read every day. Yes, several one different of the things books. I tell my actors is uh, one of the assignments they have from class is you must read a little. And I say, you figure out what a little is, but you must read a little Shakespeare every day. And I feel everyone on the planet must read a little Shakespeare every day. And you decide what a little is. But every plot of every show that you watch comes from those books. There's no new plots. There's just packaging. Everything comes from Shakespeare. And I just think everybody should read Shakespeare every day. I do. The books that I read, I read them over and over and over, even if I don't care for that person anymore, because there's something in there that helped me when I needed it. I'm the exact, I'm the exact same way, my whole shelf. And it's not like these books don't change you overnight, but there's these nuggets you pick up. It's like working in an industry for 10 years. Like I've, I've hit my ninth year in casting and doing commercials. You absorb these things and it's just like osmosis. I will say an interesting story on all these self-help authors. When I worked for Mick and Roman, Roman told me a story that, man, it's just so epic. A Course in Miracles came up and he's like, he's like, girl, Back in the day when Marianne was hosting circles at her house, I got invited to one of those circles and I started showing up and we were just reading straight from the course itself. You know, we're just sitting around in a crisscross applesauce. I'm like, you were in Marianne Williamson's fucking living room? Of course he uh, was. Uh, Roman's amazing. Uh, Roman's uh, legend. Uh, yeah. I was like, absorb, absorb. <laughs> Roman's amazing, but I did all of that all the time. And I was super poor. I was super poor. But I would just read these books. I went to the library. I didn't buy them. I went to the library and checked them out. I love the libraries. And I would just read them over and over and over and over and over again, realizing, thinking that this would have a purpose at some point. Not everything. It's all bullshit, a lot of it. But you pick that, what you just said, you pick some things and you say, okay, that, like one of the things I make my actors do is you got to make your bed first thing in the morning. Sets the day. It sets the tone for the day. I have my shower song. I have things that you need to do. And the shower song changes throughout 
life and throughout things that you're doing. But I believe everything is to a goal. And so my philosophy is I'm doing this one thing and I do it very, very well. I do it the best. There's a thousand classes in LA now. They're mostly from casting offices, which is illegal. A casting office is not allowed to promote classes. It's called pay for play. I found that out 10 years ago, whatever it was, and I left casting and I just chose to be the coach. So I don't have this dual thing. You see, this is what I do. You come to me for training and I'm not, and boom, boom, I'm going to teach you how to be the best. And then you go out and do your thing. Take all their classes. That's fine. You're not going to learn. You come to me first is the way my feel. And then go and get in front of these casting directors so that they can see you and do the pay for play thing. But I feel you come to me to learn how to get in front of them. And that's really what I'm doing now with my places in LA. When did you leave acting and then go full time into, was it all at the same time? The classes took over my life. I never wanted to be this guy. I didn't want to be this coach and that, you know, teacher. I wanted to, I wanted to be George Clooney, right? I want to be somebody else's Brad Pitt. As we all do. Uh, and, but what happened was, and I have directors who were like, come work for me. I'll teach you how to be a commercial director, make real money. And I just never, the classes just took over. I didn't go out. I didn't have friends. I didn't, I, all I do is teach all the time. Boom, boom, boom. For the last 15 years. But it's because <laughs> this is weird, but I think, oh my God, if I don't, if I don't show up today, if I don't open a class, somebody won't book. And I just, and so I just stopped. Well, I felt it was weird if I'm sitting in a lobby next to people I've taught. That's right. weird. And I thought that was a conflict of interest. And then being a casting director, I was very good at that, but I found out you can't teach and do that legally. And so I quit that. And I just became a teacher, a coach, because I'm just really good at it. I can, I don't, the only way I can explain it is I can see what you're doing on screen. I can tweak it and make it better. That's my superpower. We all have one. I can see what you're doing on screen. I can tweak it and make it better. And that's when I had big directors say to me, what the fuck do you think I do? He's like, come work for me and I'll make you real money. I was like, but I haven't, I don't, I'm not doing, it's nothing to me is about money. I just want to have lunch where I want to have lunch and I want to pay yes. my rent. And then that's all I really care about. But I'm helping people. I'm not exploiting people. I'm not using my name. I'm not, I'm certainly not emailing agents and saying, if you want them in front of me, take my class. Cause that's what happens in the city. That's what they're all doing. Whether they say that or not, I have the emails to prove it, but that's what they're all doing. And so what I'm saying is I'm not going to fight those people. Fine. Go to the casting director, but you better come to me first. So you don't look bad in front of those people. And that's what I'm doing. I'm training you to be in front of the big dogs, to run with the big dogs. That's all I care. Whether you, whether you've been doing this for one day or 10 years, I as a casting director can't know that. And so what I teach people, what I teach actors is on day one, how to look like you've been here for 10 years and to walk into that room and show this illegal class, <laughs> I should be in front of you. My agent, made me, my agent made me take this class and now I'm here, but look how good I am. So you come to me first and then go out and do all that crap. When I first started, I take every, it doesn't matter if you're a seasoned pro or if you've never done it, because what I teach is completely different from what they know. So it doesn't matter your level on day one. And I always wanted to do this spoof. I tried to do it 
and I couldn't get it done. When I was at the casting office, I wanted to do a spoof of Meryl Streep and Viola and Brad sitting in my lobby next to my actors and coming in and reading the copy because I believe everybody's equally horrible on day one in my class. And it doesn't matter if you're Meryl because I'm teaching a different kind of technique to approach advertising because it's not it's not acting i teach advertising mostly and so i think meryl and all of those people would be equally bad on day one (laughs) and i've always wanted to do that after conan i really tried to pursue it and nobody would talk to me so (laughs) oh man do you want to talk about conan what happened after conan i wanted to take over the world but they would yeah that's why i wanted to do it. i was like let's call meryl let's do everything and everybody was like calm down you did a little segment no one cares right oh my god that was amazing and usually his bits last about six minutes you know five six minutes we had 15 minutes of the show which is only an hour show so we got a quarter of the show Huffington Post the next day labeled it an instant classic. Um, It was all improvised. It was just brilliant. And we just really worked together very well. Um, It was really, really fun. Is there a link we can put into our show notes? Yeah, it's um, Netflix, Conan Auditions for Commercial. I'll send it to you. Okay, great. But he was amazing. He was so amazing to me. It was so strange because they called, I think it was Monday, and they said, we'll be there Wednesday. So I, I had 24 hours to think about it. And they didn't say anything that was going to happen. And all I said was, look, this guy's worth $50 million and nothing can hurt him. And I'm this acting coach and I can't, I can't look like a fool or a charlatan. And they were like, no, 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 no. That's not what he does. That's not what he's going to do. He'll be the jester. It was 15 minutes that they cut it down to, but we went for the whole afternoon we were having so much fun improvising and then i thought this was very cool his editor found me on facebook and said you know i've been with conan since new york the reason your segment is so long is because i couldn't edit it anymore everything you gave was gold i thought that was very cool for a guy to reach out like that and just say that out of the out of the blue. Right. How rare is that? Crazy. And by the way, Conan just, ha- you know, his editor has probably seen so much gold because Conan only talks in gold. Like he's one of the best improviser, most wittiest comedians of all time and just incredible. So that's like high praise. We had praise. so much fun. It was just so flawless. It was just so easy. It was a really, really fun time. It was really fun. That's so magical. Did it bring a lot of like new faces into your studio or like did you have virtual options at that point? Well, well we didn't do anything until pandemic. Right, right. But, but so before that you weren't there was, was a virtual. I was always so busy. I had I always had a 4-month waiting list, which is insane. So like when he came, it, nothing changed. It was always just a 4-month waiting list. Well, we were talking about earlier, okay, so I'm this little acting coach in LA. I have a little commercial class. And then you're sitting at a dinner with heads of business or a giant director. I was a waiter, but I was the best waiter. You know what I mean? How you carry yourself in a room matters and what you think. So, okay, I have this little commercial class, but I'm the best at it. 
and I am the best. And that's all there is to it. And so I remember being at a party. It was Saturday Night Live, all the writers from Saturday Night Live. And uh, Drew Barrymore was there with her boyfriend at the time. And uh, she had just won an award for something, probably a Grammy or whatever. Not a Grammy, a Golden Globe for Charlie's Angels. But I had just won Best Acting Coach in L.A. But until this year that I won this, it was all rigged because the female head of commercial classes that I was talking about, she had all her all her ex-students call and email all their parents and relatives to vote for her. So she won for like 19 years in a row. And I didn't even know this thing existed. And I won. Okay. I won best class and best teacher without telling anybody. But she had had everybody, you know, mail in things that never took the class. And I beat her. So, but I went to this party and there's Drew and she had just won. And usually at these events, I would feel less than, you know, but it was in this moment, I thought to myself, okay, I don't make their money. I don't do anything like that. But I was just voted best at what I do. And Drew's best at what she did. They just gave her an award tonight. And for the first time in my life, I didn't feel less than talking to these people. I was me. And we spoke and we were all professionals our thing. And so it doesn't matter what you do. You could run a coffee shop. I had, when I was a waiter, I've always had a cleaning person come to my house ever since college because I just said to myself, I don't care how poor I am or how successful I get. I will never clean my own toilet ever again because I had to do that my whole life. So I'm waiting tables at this restaurant and the bus person, the bus girl, she has a cleaning service on the side. And so she said, why, why don't you have me? And I was like, but you're my friend. I can't have you clean my apartment. Like you're my friend. And she's like, well, that would be awful to give it to somebody else. If you're my friend, give it to me. She didn't speak English very well at all. Very little. So I said to her, there's this one closet in my little apartment. I was like, don't ever go in this closet, ever. Now that's spooky right there, right? That's serial killer shit. <laughs> I was like, don't ever go in here. Like, don't understand what I'm saying? This, this, leave this alone. Cause that was my porn, right? <laughs> so I come home one day and she'd been in the house cleaning and I saw that she's in the closet. Now she doesn't speak English. Like very little. She organized my porn by category from the pictures. Oh my God. And within two years, she owned her own maid service and became a gigantic thing in Los Angeles. And I'm like, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm trying to teach every day. She did. Like, do you understand? Does that make any sense what I just said? Yeah. Whatever you do, be the best. Do be your best. all show up consciously just it's just be a hundred percent just be a hundred percent your day job your whatever how you show up is all you have so every friday i only had fridays off i, I worked every day of the week except friday um and fridays i would just go and sit at the chateau marmont i could only afford one drink i think the olives were free so i'd have olives and i would have a, a beer because it was only six 
but I would sit there all afternoon on my day off and I would just drink in just the richness and just watch people, how they interact. And what I also did was way before I owned a home or could even think of owning a home every Sunday, I went to open houses in the Hills every Sunday. And I watched how people shop for homes and how they interact and I would always pick the last stop. First of all, I went because a lot of places uh, give uh, in the hills, there's shrimp. Food. Yeah. Breakfast, mimosa. So I ate all day for free and cookies and shrimp cocktail and everything. And so I ate all day for free. But then I would always pick the most expensive house to go last. You know, the $5 million house in the homes in the hills. And, and I would just drink in all the energy. I did that every Sunday for years and years. And then when my friends started buying houses, they were like, can you come with me? Because why are you so good at this? Because I knew how to talk everything. And I was like, how far away is the school? And they were like, there's no school. And I was like, I saw a bus two blocks away. Where's the school? Because I want to hear where the bell is at 9 a.m. My friends were like, I would never, I would never thought of a school bell. I was like, no, you need to think of a school bell. <laughs> and so, but I did that for years and years. I would always go to places where I didn't belong and drink in the energy. I love that. I, you know what? That's so funny. I, it's not funny because I've, I've done it. I do it. I once got this assignment from this, I saw this bizarre chiropractor just once somewhere in Hollywood. And this chiropractor was also like, an energy worker, of course. And he gave me this assignment and it was not related to chiropractor stuff at all. But he's like, here's what I want you to do. He first, he's like, tell me your dreams. It was so weird. It was so, so LA. And I loved it. Tell me your dreams. Da, da, da. And then he's like, here's your assignment. I want you to go this weekend or whenever you're free to Rodeo Drive. I want you to dress up really nice. And I want you to walk in to every dress store that speaks to you, every high-end designer dress store, and ask, go find someone in the back and ask them if they can take you to the private dressing room and that you have an event. It's an undisclosed event. You can't talk about it, but you need some options and can they assist you? And he's like, just see what their response is and see how they are affected mm -hmm. by what you say. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. I was, I took my, one of my roommates with me. It was one of the most fun days. I got treated like a princess and put mm -hmm. in all of these, taken to these crazy secret rooms upstairs, put in. They all I was, have secret rooms. And every, <laughs> they do. And every single woman who helped me or man, whoever was helping me would tell me, um, they, first of all, they were just thought that they thought I was someone. And then they'd be like, wow, you're you're the exact size of all of our sample dresses. You have like the most perfect, this is so easy. Can I give you more? You look so great. Oh my God. Like, I wish I knew what you were like, what your event was because then I could even give you. And I was like, no, just like keep bringing me the options, the shoes. And I was like elevated to this level of like, oh, cause like my chiropractor who I never went back to, but I, I love him. And I never, I, I don't know why I didn't go back, but he was just like, you want to be on the red carpet one day. Right. And I'm, this is like, I'm like 24 years old. And yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, well then you have to go shop for dresses. And I was like, what? You have to practice. <laughs> To practice being in that energy that right. you want to. That's right. Metaphysics. It's Albert Einstein. 
You got to create the frequency you want to live in. There's so many factors about LA and we're just, I'm just the commercial guy trying to get you commercials. What I feel my, my contribution to the arts is I'm trying to get you to stop waiting tables. If I can get you this extra money on the side and then, then you can pursue your theatrical career. I feel that's an amazing thing that I can be a part of. And I would never claim any, oh, she did it because of me and boom, boom, boom. But like deep down in my heart, I say, oh my God, she's in this movie. And I met her six years ago and she did, you know, it went, and it worked the way it's supposed to work. But it's all about, like we just talked about determination, perseverance and caring yourself. And, and it, how you do one thing is how you do everything. I was very into the secret, as I told you before, and I was very into all of this manifestation. I went to a play. Valerie Harper was doing Tallulah Bankhead in Burbank. And my friend took me and I was practicing the secret at the time and doing all this stuff. And I'm a nobody. And after the play, we got backstage because he knew people. Like the way I carry, I, I, I used to practice walking into a room because I heard Dean Martin and Frank and Sammy all practiced in their hotel rooms how to walk on stage. So I practiced. And I walked in and Valerie Harper is talking to all these people who are important. And she sees me come in and her eyes light up. And she says, oh my God, you came. And she comes running over to me and gives me a giant hug. And I was like, of course I'm here. And she's like, oh my God. And She's introducing me into everybody and oh my God, look who came, look who came. And then James Vanderbeek was in the show with her and she calls him over. He's with his group of people, Entourage. And she's like, Come, look who came. He's a little less. He's like, oh. and he gives me a hug and he's like, okay, hey, boom, boom. And she goes, oh my God, remind me again, when did we work together? And I said, I've never met you. I'm oh, a waiter my and my friend Dennis brought me here. And <laughs> Energy. The way I walked into the room stopped everybody. She recognized that immediately. It's all energy. That's all she recognized. Because I wasn't a thing. And so it's how you carry yourself and how you walk into a room and how you walk into that callback room and how you walk into that first call room. As an actor, there's a difference. And I say this in class all the time. Confidence is sexy. Cockiness masks insecurity. So you want to walk in confident to every room, not cocky. And there's a giant difference there because the director is looking for somebody they don't, they don't want to talk to on set in a commercial. They have too many things to do. I shadow one of the top directors on the planet is very kind to me. And I shadow him when he's in town and we were doing this shoot way up in the mountains and it was for, you know, Nissan or whatever it was, but it was a very big basketball star. It was very funny. But um, you only have them for 45 minutes when you have a celebrity. It's 45 minutes. He was he was at the sunroof and it just went forward six inches for the shot. And he'd set his line and then he'd go back. But the clients made them simonize the walls after that whole six inch because they said our a Toyota can never have dirty rims because it was in the mud. And the director said to them, the fucking wheels aren't in the shot. You're taking all this time to simonize the wheels. I only have this guy for 45 minutes. And they said, I don't care. 
we're cleaning the wheels after every shot, period. So it shows you that the director's not in charge. That's number one. Number two, the director's going to deal with me, the actor, because he has to deal with that. And that's what actors don't get. I'm dealing with cleaning wheels. Yeah, They're not going to see. I only get this giant star for 45 minutes. We're just a glorified set pieces. I mean, I am nothing more than this lamp behind me, but I can talk. They they trust me. I look a certain right, way because that's the type of lamp they want today. But don't do more. Don't do less unless they ask. That's it. But what I say in classes, what I say, what you just said, you're, you're a prop. In a commercial, you're an extra. You're a prop. But you're a prop that has to be fed and paid. And they resent that last part, especially. So you have to be really good and just listen and understand your place in this shoot. Because it's about that lamp. We're selling that lamp right now. We're not selling you. And so it has to be about this lamp. Yeah. And the director's scared to death of this lamp because it pays his rent. And he can be fired over that lamp. And so you have to do everything to support the director. This is why you teach people how to walk into a room, right? This is why energy is important. Is there a tangible answer to how do you how do you book commercials? How does someone walk in and be like, I'm going to go to Killian's because I'm going to learn how to book commercials. Is there a formula or do we have to take your class? What's the, can you tell us? Well, no, I have the formula that I teach you in my class. But the main number one thing is listening. It's all about listening and understanding like what we just said, getting rid of your dreams. There's nothing to fucking do with you. I got to sell that lamp behind you. I got to sell that lamp, period. I need every American to buy that lamp. That's what the director's thinking, or I'm fired. And that's what the ad agency's thinking, or they're fired. If we don't sell that lamp, I don't care how cute you are or how sexy you are or how funny you are. If I don't sell the lamp, I'm fired. So the lamp is my main concern. So your concern must be everything to do with that lamp and show them that it is. But also show them who you are in the process, who they're booking. I mean, Joe McHale was a staple because you always knew what you were getting when you got Joe McHale. Always be prepared. He'd always know what he was doing. He'd always show who Joe McHale was. Sean Hayes was another one who always booked out of our office. Eric Stone Street was a guy who booked for me all the time. All those guys were huge commercial guys. There's a bunch of gay people. You weren't allowed to be gay back when I started, but there's a bunch of people who were always gay and always booked. And because that's who they were and they were just true. And when you need that guy, that's who you got. Because you couldn't be that ever in commercials when I started. But there was a whole group of them who were. Because when you need that guy, you need that guy. A special needs that uncle, uncle at yeah. that picnic. <laughs> and they cut him for, you know, he's eating the fruit, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, there was a whole group of everybody. I love asking this question. There's always mixed responses. But, like, do you believe that someone could make a living doing full-time commercial work? Well, I know a thousand of them. There's a thousand people in Los Angeles who make a living just doing that. Just commercials. And mm-hmm. and some people think that's like the craziest, like most unbelievable thing. But you're here to say that you could think of many people who do. I can think of a thousand people. <laughs> you guys heard it here from Killian himself. You can make a living full time off of commercials, but you have to fucking know yeah. what you're doing. Yes. Well, the people, that's the thing. The old pros, 
they know. And they don't sit in the lobby and bitch and they don't sit in the lobby and gab. They sit there because they're there for their job and this is their rent and this is what they do. And you know the professionals. Yeah, you do. Like everybody. I'm all the Seinfeld, you know, when Seinfeld was big, all those like Uncle Joe or whatever. I don't, I, I'm making up the name, but like all the old people that were around him and character actors, they all came into our offices and booked. They were all bookers. Like everybody does commercials. Yeah. Is it like, do you find that it's like, if you were writing that book, if you were writing the life book or just like making it in Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, do you find that more often than not commercials, booking commercials consistently is like a stepping stone to booking theatrical? Do you find that pattern or kind of different for everyone? Well, you start in commercials and then you hope somebody sees you and then that's that's where you start. But there's a whole bunch of people who just do commercials because mm. they live in a want to do that and then, then they make their nut and they get their health insurance and they get retirement and they get all that and they get in the old folks home uh they get their door their foot in the door there but yeah but the goal is you start in commercials and then you go to i mean tom Selleck. everybody started in commercials everybody started in commercials mm. yeah and that just shows old i am because i've never even seen a show that tom Selleck just did but i just i don't know why he came to me but he's he was a big commercial guy ted danson uh-huh. was a huge commercial uh-huh, yeah. like everybody was in commercials first matt leblanc he had the ketchup thing where he caught it from behind his back i still remember that kid. <laughs> married with children and then that's how that started um everybody starts in commercials it feels like so it feels like the the theme of bringing your dreams or leaving your dreams out of it. Just like when people bring that in, they're carrying the weight of everything on their shoulders and they can't just do the job and it's distracting when you read the lines. Right. And that feels like one of your kind of foundational things, just like get rid of, but it's hard. Cause I, I will say there's a lot of new actors who listen to this and they do, they're like either listening and they're like, I want to move to LA and do this. Or I just moved here and like, this is all I want. But like, they can't seem to like break through and and release this pressure. Like, how do you let go of the pressure to not want this thing? Well, I'm not saying at all to forget your dreams. I'm saying compartmentalize. Car- Is that the word? Compartmentalize. Compartmentalize. Yeah. We're here for Nissan today. Now, if you do what Nissan, t- I booked a, my biggest gigs were Hyundai as an actor and I booked them several years in a row, but I had to audition every year, but I booked it every year. And Hyundai did all their commercials in two weeks for the whole year. And I was in those. I'm here to book Hyundai. That's all my goal is today, to make this car look good, to do what they tell me to do, to listen to them. And then when I get that money from Hyundai, then I can concentrate on my dreams. But for right now, I'm here. So like, let's say you're fishing. Oh my God, I'm going to catch the biggest fish in the world. I can't believe how good this day is going to be. My fish is going to be. How about just cast your thing in and concentrate on putting the worm on the hook and getting a fish. Mm. Right. Okay. You don't need Moby Dick right now. (laughs) We need a fish to take home. To show the family that we were fishing. Right. Okay. And so once I catch this fish, now I get how it works. Now I'm going to try for another fish. 
and another fish, another fish. And then eventually you want bigger and bigger, bigger fish. Mm. Right. But it has to be, yeah, I have these dreams. They should never go away. But I'm here to sell a Dunkin' fucking donut. And what they need me to do right now is to bite into the donut and to look pleasant. <laughs> and that's all I need to do. And then I get 20,000 fucking dollars. <laughs> but people overthink the shit out of it because they're like, oh, my God. Ah, it's for this casting director. And, like, I don't know if this and that. It's like focus on no. the task here. That's all. That's all. That's all it is. And I tell people, because nobody knows this scene anymore, but I make all my actors watch the scene in Tootsie where he was the tomato. And he got fired because he needed this whole backstory for the tomato. And he was just this difficult actor for the tomato. And they just said, get the fuck out of here, right? Because I just need a guy to be a tomato. Yeah. (laughs) Money spends the same. Just do what they need you to do. Take the money. Uh And then pursue your acting career but commercials aren't acting commercials aren't art commercials are sales you're just a salesperson yeah i I love that i love it is i mean that's what you are you're like a chameleon salesperson you have to be able to just put the fucking mask on and sell the water bottle but but trick but not but they (laughs) <laughs> the advertising agency they don't want to think you're selling it they want you to you know sell it under it's like this so you can't be too salesy but it's like but you're selling it but it's like don't sell it but it's like this thing right yeah. it's just like a magic trick like i want to make you want this how can i support what they're writing and but that's not your job as the actor to figure that out the director will tell you how to do that so that's why i'm saying it's all listening tests mm. that's their job that's not my job to sell this piece of gum as an actor. You tell me what to do, and I'm supposed to be able to do it. Wow. And then if I can't do it, I don't get the job. Or I'm thinking of something else. If I'm thinking of, I think my meter's expired. I'm not getting the job. Because okay? I park where I shouldn't park. Or all of these things that actors do all the time. I just need you to do this thing. I'm going to, in the commercial world, we lay it out for you. Here's what you need to do. Nothing more, nothing less. It is so and if you do simple. This, you'll get a callback. And then the director will decide if they have a vibe. Yeah. Or if you're the right look. Because you could do it fucking perfectly. And then you have brown hair and they don't want that. Whatever. That's exactly what, the, that's what my world is about. It's, it's, you just didn't have the right hair color. Or you were too tall for the car. Mm-hmm. You know, that happens all the time. You're too tall for the car. It has to look roomy, and you can't be 6'1 in a car for a Toyota hatchback. <laughs> you can't. They won't hire you. You have to be 5'9", okay? And so that's the thing about cars. You can't be over 5'9", 5'10". And so people don't know that. Mm. So you can be Jim Carrey, but you're not getting that car commercial because he's like 6'2". <laughs> he's still Jim Carrey. You'll get other things. Right. And so do you have like any sort of pep talk or like, I don't know, like the whole like our our business is about rejections. It's like all rejection or like people are, are always getting released or not getting what they want. Like, how do you lay it out to them 
about this business we're in? Like, what's your pep talk for rejections? The pep talk for rejection is, so this person didn't want you, the next person will. If you use my technique and you follow my checklist and you do what I tell you to do, you're going to book what you're supposed to book. Mm. So, okay, I didn't book this one, but I know if I keep doing what Killing just told me to do, I'll book the next one. That's right for me. Betty White, I think who we should all use as a, as a, as a roadmap, as a blueprint. But she said, whenever I didn't get a role, I always thought to myself, oh, it was someone else's turn. Oh, I love that. I love her so much. Exactly. It was someone else's turn today. And and but tomorrow, tomorrow will be my turn. Right. And your turn is it's already coming. You have to just trust that it's already there. And by the way, it's it can't be taken from you because it's for you. So like, why would you worry about it? It's already there for you. And and no one can have it because no one's you. And it's the no. wildest thing. You have to just keep doing your job. The thing is, you have to keep your goal on why you're here. No one came here to be a commercial person. No one came here to be flow. Flow didn't come here to be flow. Okay. And by the way, the biggest story in the, in the whole city is she was the backup. She wasn't first choice for that role. Now, 20 years later and $20 million later, she's very happy that she got it. But she was the backup. She wasn't the first choice by clients. She didn't want to be flow. She wanted to be Viola. Everybody came here to be Viola. All right. But it took Viola 20 years to be Viola. And so you take these jobs, you do what they say, you take that money, you put it in the bank, you pay for your acting classes. The one thing I could say to everybody is always be in a class. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm always in a class. Right now I'm in a knitting class. I always take a class. I'm always in a class. Always do something to just move forward, to just keep the things open. You'll find somebody in a knitting class. That's interesting. And you say, I mean, I'm going to write a story about that person. All of a sudden now that's a movie, right? And so you don't know where anything's coming from or, or what anything's supposed to be, but you still be yourself. I don't, don't take props to commercials. Don't do anything, but there's a person that I like to talk about. We had a, our major client was huge and uh, he never booked the same person twice in a role. And it was a commercial, but it's ongoing. And um, the one guy, he made him audition every time, 20 times. He was in 20, but he always booked. But one day this actor pulled a pipe out and in the middle of his speech, he blew his pipe. Now this is after booking a lot for this director, but the pipe blew bubbles. No one expected that. And especially in the scene. And he walked out and the director who never spoke to anybody, you'd be scared to death if he talked to you. But he turned to me and he said, you know why I book him all the time? And I was so scared to even answer him. And I said, I said, I would love to know why. And he said, because I can't tell if he brought that pipe as a prop or if he actually carries a bubble pipe with him all the time. <laughs> now, I saw the dude in a bar after that. And I said that story to him and he said, Killian, of course it was a fucking prop. I don't, I don't carry a bubble pipe in my fucking pocket all the time. <laughs> you did it for him. But this is after he booked like 10 roles with the guy and he, and his character was out there. He was like a Seinfeld. Uh, what's that guy? Kramer. He was like that guy in the commercial series, but he made him audition every time. And then like, he got the freedom to do that. You don't come in with a bubble pipe on the first time. You know, you just do what they tell you to do. 
but Jason Alexander, Nathan Lane, everybody starts in commercials. Kristen Wiig, everybody starts in commercials. And when you show yourself and when you know what you're doing, and a, a director told me one day, it was models and they weren't supposed to be funny, but this one model was funny. And he said to me, do you know why I'm going to book her, Killian? And I said, why? And he said, because I think she's going to be the next Kristen Wiig. And America won't know what she did to book this Miller Lite spot. But I know what she did. And what I hope is when she becomes Kristen Wiig, she'll remember the guy who put her in her first Miller Lite spot. See, they're all looking for the Jim Carrey. They're all looking for the Kristen Wiig. The directors are all looking for that person that's going to remember them when they are George Clooney. So it's all connected. It's all everything. How you are at parties, how you are everywhere. All of it. I love I love a full circle moment. I think life is a full circle always. and It's all connected. So if we're going full circle... Can I ask you, it's sort of a personal question. You can answer it or not, but what's your, Killian, what's your next dream? Like, what are you working on? What's next for you? Anything, acting, not. Well, what I love is teaching this workshop, but I would like to take it more global. That's my next thing. Zoom has allowed that. Now, I, I before Zoom, before the pandemic, I created a uh, 10 video for 99 bucks. My whole adult workshop is on video for 99 bucks. And I thought that was amazing. And I did it so that other people in other cities could take the class when I couldn't get, cause I always wanted to travel around. And then the pandemic happened. And then I, everybody, like I had people from India and China and people in France and everybody in South America and everybody's taking my class during the pandemic because I think they were just online looking for shit to do. Right. So live Zoom. They yeah. were taking your live Zoom. Yeah, there were live Zoom classes. And I love that. And I love that people were taking it all over the world. And so I would like that to happen. That's my vision board. Thank you so much for sharing everything and just being such a generous guest. Is there, Do you have any final thoughts or upcoming classes or just in general, anything that you feel like you didn't get to share that you want to express to all of our listeners before we jump off? Well, I will say what I say in every class, in every post, to everybody that I meet everywhere, leap and the net will appear. I love it. I love it. I live by it. I've been living by that since I leaped, since I leapt. <laughs> What's the past tense? Tell everybody, that's my thing. Leap in the net will appear. I love so much. Okay, well, um, you're the best. Uh, I feel like we have another episode maybe down the line just because we there's just oh, yeah. infinity things to talk about, obviously. Thank you so much, you guys, for tuning in to Slate It Till You Make It. Please be sure to share this episode with your fellow, fellow actor friends. Leave us a review, like, subscribe, and all the things, and we will see you next time. Ciao.